Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. All right, well, happy Mother's Day. It is good to gather this morning. Thank you for being here. We're starting a new series called Cultural Church. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And it might take you a minute to get there because it's kind of tucked away in the middle of the New Testament. And so you have this really handy resource in your Bibles called the Table of Contents. Do you guys know that? Use them. Ain't no shame in it. It's all right. 1 Timothy 1 is where we're going to be, and we'll be in verses 1 through 11 this morning. This cultural church series that we'll be going through in 1 Timothy comes from the aim of what kind of church we're going to be and what kind of church that the church is called to be. Because the church is going to be in the culture. Should be. But are we going to be a church that's in the culture or a church of the culture? And those are two vastly different things. Are we going to be a church that's influenced by the culture or a church that influences the culture? That's the world we live in, and that's what we see in Scripture. Like, think about the Roman era of the first century church and how they actively persecuted the church and did everything to stomp out this Christian movement that they called the way. And within three centuries... That became the dominant religion in Rome, Christianity. Think about that. Are we going to be a church in the culture or a church of the culture? So again, we're going to be at 1 Timothy 1 this morning, verses 1 through 11. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Damaging Doctrine. Damaging Doctrine. So let's jump in verse 1. It says, Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's pause there real quick, and we could use, just do a whole sermon on these first two verses. About 40 minutes here, but we're not. Let's take about 35 minutes here, and then go through the rest of the verses together. Just kidding. It's going to be all right. But here we see, this is, this is noteworthy. One, this letter bears the name of Timothy. It's not that Timothy wrote it. Paul wrote it to Timothy. All right? So that's important. So Paul, if you don't know a little bit about Paul, Paul was, used to be called Saul. He was the adversary Saul to the church, but got radically converted on the road to Damascus by encountering the resurrected Lord Jesus. And his life was changed forever. Now we know him as the Apostle Paul. Gone from murderer to missionary. What does that mean for you? Don't give up on those folks in your life. God can change anyone, and he does. And so we have this radical testimony of Paul. Then we come to Timothy. Timothy has more of a testimony that maybe many of us have. You see, we see in Acts 16 that Paul meets Timothy, Timothy, a younger man, on one of the missionaries' journeys at the time in Derby and Lystra. And what we know about Timothy, which is, I think, so applicable to this morning, is that oftentimes we don't know much about the parents of the apostles or Christians or leaders. We don't know much about their parents. But in Timothy, we do. It's really interesting. We know a couple things. We know from Acts 16 that he was a son of a believing Jewish woman. And it says, but his dad was a Greek. So two things there real quick. It's not Father's Day, but dads, don't be the butt in the family. Do you know what I'm saying? That's all we know. But his father was a Greek. I don't want to be the butt in my family. I don't want to be remembered forever in Scripture by the butt. You know what I'm saying? But mamas, 
Your ministry matters. The son of a believing Jewish woman. In first, or 2 Timothy 1, the Paul, Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm convinced is also in you. In 2 Timothy 3, we see that he says, from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. Moms, your ministry matters. I know it feels thankless and oftentimes cannot endure the weight that's on your shoulders. Your ministry matters. And I love that this is in scripture. And I love that we're talking about Timothy this morning because we see the effects of faithful moms pouring into their kids. And let's just be honest. Moms, a lot of your, the things that you sow into your family life will not be seen or recognized this side of eternity. But know that God is working through you as you remain faithful to the Lord. He is going to do mighty things in your family, whether you see it now or on the other side of the eternity. Moms, we love you. Literally wouldn't be here without you. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. So Timothy, we see, was a very valuable partner for the Apostle Paul. He would join the Apostle Paul on many missionary journeys, disciple-making, church-planting journeys. And we see it's noteworthy that the Lord would accomplish many great things through Timothy. Because Timothy was willing to basically just put his yes on the table. We talked about this in our young adult gathering on this past Friday. Putting your yes on the table, some call it the blank check for the Lord. I know we don't use checks much, so maybe your pin to your bank account. I don't know what you... You're, you're all in for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? This is what following Jesus is. Jesus has every aspect of your life. I think in our Western culture, we kind of, like, we segment our lives. Like, this is Jesus. This is mine. You know, Sunday morning around 10 to 11, that's Jesus' time. The rest of the time throughout the week is my time. Jesus says, it's all, all of me. We give him all. That is, he is Lord, king of our life, all of us. And so Timothy was willing to put his yes on the table saying, Lord, use me. Kind of like what we see in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah sees God in his greatness, and his response is, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. And so it begs the question, what stops you from putting your yes on the table? Let me give us just three questions. So what stops you from putting your yes on the table? Maybe you're too young. Do you believe that lie? I'm too young to be used by the Lord. It's interesting because here in 1 Timothy 4.12, he tells Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Timothy was youngish. So is being too young stopping you? How about, are you scared? Is something scaring you? Like, that's what we talk about in young adults. What stops you? Are there fears in your life? Whether if I say yes to the Lord, these things may happen. What are we scared of? I think Timothy had some fears. That's why in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul reminds Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So he's encouraging Timothy. Or maybe health issues may have prevented you from putting your yes on the table. I know it's a very real struggle for many in this, this church. These health concerns... Well, notice in 2 Timothy 5, verse 23, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to use a little wine because your stomach and frequent illnesses. 
So it's amazing that Timothy put his yes on the table but still struggled with certain things, whether it's his youth, fear, or health issues, but he kept pursuing Christ and says, it's all of me, and God would use Timothy's willingness and faithfulness for amazing, amazing things, and specifically in the church in Ephesus. And it's who this letter's written to is Paul, uh, Timothy, but in the context of being in Eph- Ephesus. And real quick about Ephesus, there's a lot of similarities in Ephesus, first century, that we see here in the Richmond area, culture-wise. You know, they were, one, they were affluent, that's wealthy, they were influential, and diverse. They were in what we know now as modern-day Turkey on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. But being a port city, they were, had a lot of trade and commerce continuously that made them wealthy. But they're also people known of a pursuit of the higher education and of knowledge. Spiritual people, there was temples all throughout. But there was one main temple, the temple to the goddess Artemis. And this temple was just huge. They said they could have fit a football field inside of the temple that they built for this false goddess. And it was really the center of Ephesus. And what we see here is that in that culture, failing to compromise to false worship would have direct consequences to economic standing and your social standing. So you always had this culture clash between the culture and Christ. Who you'd follow, who you'd bow down to, who you'd worship, because it would directly, directly affect your life. And that's what we see in Ephesus, and that's what we see a lot of times here. There's a lot of barriers here to the gospel. Wealthy is being one of them. That's a barrier to the gospel. I'm good. I don't need anything else. How about busyness is a barrier to the gospel? Diversity, we are a diverse community. Various ethnicities, backgrounds, spiritual beliefs, here. But you see a gospel work that was done in Ephesus, and the church was planted. And this is where we come to 1 Timothy. Timothy was then appointed, tasked by Paul for some tough work in Ephesus. That tough work was dealing with church people. Yeah. Not y'all. Other church people are hard to deal with. Y'all are a joy. Dealing with church people is hard. And this is the joy that Timothy has. And so... The series emphasis, we're going to ask this question. Why did Paul have Timothy in Ephesus? And the answer is really given us in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, I've written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And then we're going to get really specific over the weeks to come. And really, we're going to touch on some hot topics in today's culture that we're going to go back to Scripture for the answers to. And so we see here that the church was conducting themselves carelessly as a direct result of the teachers teaching damaging doctrine. Which leads us to verse 3. It says, I urged you when I went to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan which operates by faith. And so here Timothy had the joy of instructing, that is commanding these teachers to stop teaching damaging doctrine. Because it was creating in the church confusion, conflict, and incorrect conduct. And this is what we see here, is, and we see today, is that this compromising to the commands of Christ for the customs of the culture will create confusion. And these teachers, like many today, were adding to 
taking away or twisting God's word. Striving for relevance in the culture instead of reverence for Christ. That's what's happening. That's what's happening today. Not much has changed over 2,000 years. And we used this example before, but I think it hits the nail on the head. When it comes to teachers or being taught or reading or teaching ourselves or what we do, oftentimes many people, including teachers, pastors, leaders, come to the Bible with a hatchet and a highlighter approach. You know what I'm talking about? Highlighter and a hatchet. Like we pick out verses that we love. Like, for example, John 10.10. Jesus says, I have come to give them life and they have it in abundance. That's a great verse. A lot of truth there. And we want to take that and just run with it. God has given you life to the fullest. Enjoy it. Well, amen. We enjoy life with Christ. But if that's all we teach, we have an incorrect doctrine in our view of Scripture, our view of God, and our view of Jesus is out of balance. So we like to highlight those things, but we take a hatchet or cut out the things that we don't like. I mean, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is certainly no one righteous on earth who does good and never sins. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. So we hate that. Because it's offensive. It offends the culture, and we don't want to rub people the wrong way. But I'm telling you, when we take this approach, we will miss God's grace. We will miss the amazing saving of our Savior. We will miss the depth of the goodness of the gospel. We need all of this to understand how awesome God is. We need to see that we are not inherently good. Matter of fact, we're inherently evil. Because we see the amazing sacrifice that Jesus gave so that we can live. The one that did not need forgiving for us, the unforgivable. The righteous for the unrighteous. The perfect for the imperfect. We need both a full understanding of what God's word says to see how amazing a relationship with God is. I hope we, we see that. This church in Ephesus, they were spiritually starving because they were receiving a weak, a weak replica of God's word instead of the real, inspired, Holy Spirit-driven word of God that nourishes. Let me ask this. How do you know the real from a replica? How do you know that? How do you know, if I was to stand up here and hold something, how do you know it's real or it's a replica? Well, it goes back to you have to know what the real thing looks like, right? Yeah, you have to know what the real thing looks like to identify what the fake is. Well, going on top of that, how do you know if someone is teaching the Bible falsely? It's a simple answer. The Bible. Isn't that crazy? Is that mind-blowing? Like, how do you know if someone is teaching it falsely? The Bible. You have to read the Bible. I, I had a, a conversation with a, a man in D.C. several years ago now sharing the gospel, and he was a devout Catholic, telling me how religious he was and how he did all these things throughout the week, and very impressive, very religious. And we're talking about the Bible, and he's, he told me this. He says, it's dangerous for average people to read the Bible. That's why we have priests. That's interesting. And I was reminded of just about 500 years ago, the reformers fought and died for the right for the people to have the Bible in their own language. And now, it's said that we have the full Bible 
in 717 different languages, which allows about 5.75 billion people to read the Bible, God's Word, in the language that they know best. Over 500 years, praise God. And there's a reason. I, I don't think it's dangerous for average people to read the Bible. I think it's dangerous for average people not to read the Bible. Which drives another question. It's not going to be popular, so I'm going to preface that. Can you follow Jesus without reading the Bible? It's interesting. Can you follow Jesus without reading the Bible? Now, some of you are like, you're encroaching on legalism. I hear you. It's a yes and no. So, yes, because faith comes from hearing the gospel. Romans 10, 17. So you can follow Jesus by believing. You hear the word, God does something in you, and you believe that it's true, and that Christ's blood counted for you. That's saving faith, and you can follow Jesus just by simply believing the gospel. The gospel is so simple that we're all creating God's image, but we have this sin issue that separates us from God, but God did something about it that we couldn't do, paying the price for sin so that we could live again in Christ Jesus, who was perfect, that took our place on the cross, so his blood that was poured out for you, that you believe that somehow that counted for you, you have life that he gave you when he was resurrected, and now ascended to the Father at the right hand, and you're counted as righteous because of his righteousness. Do you, you guys write that down? Let me repeat that. We're going to go over again, no, don't worry. The gospel matters, but it's so simple. Do you believe it or not? Because that matters entirely and eternally. Do you believe it? So yes, you can follow Jesus without reading the Bible. Do you believe the gospel? But no, you cannot follow Jesus without reading the Bible. That's right. I strive for clarity here. To, to be a disciple is to know who you're following. See, we've lost the, the, what discipleship is. Discipleship is leaving everything to follow a teacher or a rabbi. And as they followed, they would strive to imitate every aspect of his life and follow so closely, dirty from the sandals kicking up dirt on them as they followed their teacher. This is what following Jesus looks like. I was reminded yesterday, my, my little guys, they follow me around the house. And especially like when they want something, so I'll be walking and following. If I make a too quick course correction, I'm about to run over a little kid in my house. We got some kids, so it's just, you turn somewhere, you're going to have a kid somewhere. But that's a picture of what it is to follow Jesus, is to follow closely as we can. Now, how do we do that now in 2022? Through his word. How do you know God? It's through his word. How do you know yourself? It's through his word. How do you know what the commands are, what you're called to obey and follow and do? It's through his word, and the Holy Spirit leads you into understanding and living for God's glory. So no, you can't follow Jesus without reading his word. And I think that's where we've gone wrong in so many places, that we're falling for false teaching because we don't know what's false and what's true. This ain't legalism. This is following Jesus. It's amazing that, you know, this is a good, good start. And we cover a lot of scripture. Eleven verses in a lot of churches, like we're doing this morning, is a lot of scripture. But if this is your main scriptural diet, then you're going to be malnourished. There's over 31,000 verses in the Bible. We need to be in God's Word. God's Word is both informing and transforming because it's Holy Spirit-inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16. And just in case you didn't know this, but I think you probably do, this church believes God's Word. Everything that we do is derived from God's Word. 
Our preaching ministry on Sunday mornings, our community groups are based on God's word. Our discipleship groups are based on God's word. Everything we do is gospel-centered, coming from God's inspired word. And what we know is that clinging to God's word unites God's people, but departing from God's word divides God's people. And that's what we see in verse 5 and 6. Look real quick with me. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. So instead of focusing on God's plan, this church was distracted by disputes driven by dangerous, damaging doctrine. I don't know about you, but I've been a part of some fruitless discussions over the past couple of years. In the life of this church, we've endured and went through a couple things over the past two years. We're a two-year-old church, and this two years felt about like 20, Right? of all that's happened. And fruitless discussions can happen. And I'm going to try and clarify this. So let me, let me give three examples of fruitless discussions that we've encountered just within two years. Discussions around racial reconciliation, COVID concerns, burden for the unborn. Now you ask, how'd that be fruitless? If you hear any of those three and you think more political than biblical, then you may have been more influenced by the culture than what you know. Because all of these are biblical concerns. But we come from a discussion point that we want to talk politics when it involves very biblical aspects of Christian living. This is where James 1.19 is so important. My brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. And the great theologian, Thumper from Bambi, you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. And I hear the question, as I was preparing this time together, I hear the question, but God, or but Josh, God's word offends. No doubt. No doubt. But I'd ask the question, is God's word is the one that's offending, or is it you? There's a difference there. Oftentimes, we're the one that's offending, not God's word. So let's measure our motives. Let's start by asking, is my goal God glorifying or self-justifying? Vastly different things. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 tells us to be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And as a man hears that, we're like ready to fight some folks, right? Be courageous. Be strong. Stand firm in the faith. Like, let's do this. And then verse 14 says, do everything in love. Interesting. Do everything in love. And so our, our discussions, everything we do, are they generated from a heart of loving God and then loving others? In every discussion we have, let's be quick to return to the authority of the word and not the priority of one's position. We're not trying to be right fighters. We're returning to God's truth with God's grace driven by love. And it matters a whole bunch. Which leads us to verse 7, talking about the teachers. Verse 7 says, They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying and what they are insisting on. But we know is that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. The law is good. And so what we see here is the teaching ministry should be motivated by the love of God for love of people. 
But we see here in many churches around the world is oftentimes the teaching ministry care more about the position than God's people. See, there's a lot of preachers today, not nearly enough pastors. And there's a difference. A lot of gifted communicators, but not gifted at caring. This is what the church leadership should be. They're pastors that are able to teach, not teachers that are not able to pastor. We get that backwards. That's what we see in verse 7. They want to be teachers, but they're unable. The phrase that we use a lot around the Weatherspoon house is that just because you could doesn't mean you should. It's not good grammar, but it's great guidance. What do I mean? Just because you could eat seven Snickers at a sitting doesn't mean you should. Just because you could stay out till 3 a.m. doesn't mean you should. Just because you could go 25 into 55 doesn't mean you should, right? Whoever that applies to. But we see these church, church leaders, and what the scary thing is, and I think we miss this, is that church leaders are accountable for their teaching. You guys know this? James 3.1 says, says that not many should become teachers because you know that they will receive a stricter, or we will receive a stricter judgment. And it, the scary thing is that teaching has a power of luring away from obeying or inspiring to follow Christ better. Both and. I was thinking about my... My two-year-old, we recently transitioned to a toddler bed. And so we have a camera in the room, and so we have to watch him because my little guy, man, he'll get out as soon as we close the door and want to run around this room and dump out toys. And, and so his older brother, his four-year-old brother, sleeps in the bunk bed over him. And so we tell my two-year-old, we command him, right, stay in bed. Don't get out of bed, stay in bed. So what's my four-year-old on top of him? What's he do? He takes his blankie and dangles it over the bed trying to lure my two-year-old out of his bed to get in trouble. Isn't that what happens sometimes in church life? We're being lured, and we don't even know it. Lured into disobedience. And this is the power the teaching ministry has, is being lured. So yeah, church leaders, are, church leaders are accountable, but the church, we're accountable for what we are taught and what we receive. So we got to be very careful to who we listen to and what we listen to because there's all kinds of voices out there and all of them ain't good. Like YouTube and podcasts and just whatever media platform we have, we can just basically find anything you want to hear. But how do you measure it? The Bible. We have to read the Bible. Right now, this morning, there are across the world Churches the size of football stadiums that are feasting on false teaching because they don't know God's word. Let that not be here. Let us be a church that desires God's word, to spend more time with him, to know him better, because he's worth it. Romans 14 tells us that each of us will have to give an account before God. Each of us. For everything we do, we'll have to give an account. And this is two ways. This is one way of a right standing and a right following. This is what we have to account for. One, the right standing. Are you trying to stand before the Lord on whose righteousness? Your own or Christ Jesus? Because your righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. Like filthy rags, we're never going to be good enough. 
But this is where the beauty of the gospel is. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made the one who did not know sin, sin for us. That is Jesus. So that in him, we might become righteousness of God. And this is done by faith. That he did that for you. And through faith, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And now could stand before the Lord, declared as righteous because of Jesus' righteousness imputed on your behalf. This is the good news of the gospel. This is a right standing. So if you're trying to stand in any other righteousness, any other goodness, beside from Christ Jesus, then you are on shaky, false, sinking sand and are right now still stuck in your sins. So are you, do you have a right standing? And do you have a right following? See, faith means following and believing and obeying. Every time you see believe, No, it's believe and obey. You cannot have one without the other. They are tied together. Believing and obeying. You can't believe and follow and not be in complete disobedience. They don't mesh. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, Prophet Samuel says this, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. Also known as to obey is better than giving to the needy. Obey is better than going to church on Sundays. Obey is better than reading your Bible. Obey is better than praying. Obey is better. You name the good Christian discipline because if your heart posture is set aside because I got to do these things or I get to do these things. Completely different. Am I trying to earn something Or am I working and doing these things out of something that was given to me? That's righteousness, new life in Christ. God's given me these things, so I love the Lord because he first loved me, and I will do anything for him, and so I desire to do these things. But if you're doing it to try to, out of your own willpower or own mindset, they're worthless. To obey is better than sacrifice. We're called to obey. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That's what we need to see. His commands are good. His statutes are good. His decrees are good. His instruction is good. His law, this is crazy, right? His law is good. And this is written to a New Testament church. See, we think of an Old Testament as obsolete. This is not true. His law is still good, and it was good. That's what we come to in in this passage, in verse 9. It says, we know that the law is not meant for the righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexual immoral, and males who have sex with males, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. And this list is amazing because it basically covers all the Ten Commandments. The law is good. It's not obsolete, it's still relevant, and it's still good. Jesus says, I, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And see, this is where we get in danger, because we live in the era of Amazon. Man, we Amazon some things. I'm telling you, we, too much. We Amazon some things. But what happens when you place the order, and it gets delivered, that order was then fulfilled, right? It was done. And that's how we view the Old Testament and specifically the law, that, oh, that was done. Jesus finished it. That's not what fulfill means. It's more of a fill full 
a better understanding through Christ Jesus. Think when I was growing up, dot to dot. Anybody do the dot to dots? If you don't, just bear with me for a second. Just picture a whole bunch of dots and a whole bunch of numbers, and you can kind of see it just by looking at it. Maybe you see what it's going to be. But you connect the line from one to two, then two to three, three to four. You guys get the picture? Four to five. And when you're done, you see what the picture is. And then you can color it in and you make it more full, and you see the fullness of the picture. This is what Jesus did when he fulfills the law, is bringing more fullness to the picture. Like, think about it. He says, don't murder, right? The law says, don't murder. And Jesus says, actually, it's much worse. He says, if you hate, then you're guilty of judgment, or you're under judgment. He says, the law says, do not commit adultery. Actually, it's much worse. He says, if you look lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Filling full the understanding of the law that we have in Christ Jesus. What we say in verse 8, he says, the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. This is where we need to clarify the law. The law is meant to be a mirror, not a map. A mirror, not a map. If we're trying to use the law as a map or a ladder, you know, if you do this, you do this, you do this, and I'll be right with God, then we're in serious trouble because that was not the intent. We just went to Puerto Rico a couple weeks ago and to partner with our church plant down there. And when I think of a map, it goes from point A to point B. If I follow this instruction or I follow this guidance, I'll get there. It'd be like trying to get to Puerto Rico on a moped with no money. You know, it's just not going to happen, right? It's just not going to happen. It wasn't intent for that. It's not a checklist of things you're supposed to do or not do. The point is you can't do any of it. It's a mirror to show us our need for God. It was always meant to drive us back to our need for God. It's, you know, we've heard sin clarified as missing the mark, right? Archery term. Missing the mark. Perfection. And I'm such a poor archer. Literally, we had this uh, bow and arrow set. Pretty powerful one. More powerful than I realized. And I literally could not hit the broad side of a barn. I was goofing off in my backyard. That's what I see. I had this big, you know, side of the barn and reached back because I just feel like an archer. Just like when you reach back, I just feel like I have power in my hands, right? And I let that thing go, and it sailed. It looked, it looked awesome until it missed the side of the barn and went right through the barn window. Not so much. So identify with this. I've missed the mark. I missed the barn. I'm glad I didn't miss the whole backyard and go to the neighbor's backyard. That would have been bad. But more so, like, I played darts as a kid, and, you know, same, same kind of thing, right? You're throwing darts, and I was a little bit better at darts than I am archery. But we had a, a, a small ceiling. It was probably eight-foot ceiling, and I was a little guy, and so I was tossing darts, and one got stuck in the ceiling, this, this type of ceiling. And I couldn't reach it, so what do I do? I jumped up and tapped it, but then what I did next, I don't rec- recommend doing. So I jumped up and tapped it, so to make sure I got it, I stopped and looked up, and man, that thing stuck right in my forehead. This is us in trying to work our way into salvation, right? I can't hit the dartboard. I hit myself in the forehead somehow. I don't know how you do that. But this is what the law is like. It wasn't meant for us to be do, 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 or not do, not do. It's we can't do, so Jesus did. This is the good news of the gospel. 
I was talking to my daughter this past week about her grades, and school's finished up, and she reminded me, Dad, you know, C's get degrees. And I thought, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's true. That's what we come to our life like. Like, I'm doing all right. I'm passing. Like, I'm generally a good person. Yeah, I mess up sometimes. And we come to the law, like, yeah, I got most of them knocked out. I don't murder. Right? My father and mother, I mean, they're okay. Sure, I dishonor them sometimes. But listen, God expects 100%. Perfection all the time. And it just doesn't happen. We're born with this desire to sin. That's what we see. We're always meant to live by faith in conforming to the gospel. The Bible says the righteous will live by faith. Have you heard that before? You know, it's in Old Testament and New Testament, this one phrase. It's always been the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and Romans 1, 17 has always been the righteous will live by faith. It's never been you do this, do this, do this. It's always been you can't do this. The righteous will live by faith looking forward to the coming Savior. But now Jesus has come, has saved, so we can look back at what he did in his saving grace that saved us from our unrighteousness and transferred us to righteousness, brought us out of death into life and given us new life in Christ Jesus. And this is what we come together on the first day of the week every Sunday to celebrate the resurrected Lord because he has given life to everyone who believes. And this is the good news of the gospel. That's a good, yeah, good, good area to say amen. I'm with you. But here Romans 3 as we close. Romans 3, 21 and through 24 says this. Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God is through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. I love the word all. All. It doesn't say all but. All but, remember those things you did, right? All but you name the sin that you've been a part of. All but the mistake you've made. All but the background that you've had. All but the relationships that you messed up. All but, but the struggle you still have. No, it says, to all who believe, come with your mess, come with your madness, come with your junk, your garbage, and lay it at the feet of Christ. Because you can never clean yourself up enough. To all who believe, since there, it says, since there's no distinction. For all, very inclusive the Bible is, you guys know this? Very inclusive. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all y'all. All y'all a bunch of sinners. Me too. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They, being those who believe, are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That means you have been bought with a price. That is Jesus' blood. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished, it means the payment has been made in full. Your sins have been paid for. The word is to telestai used to be stamped on receipts of debts that were owed when they were paid in full. Your sin has been paid for full, but only applied when you believe. Do you receive it or reject it? And this is where we all stand. So do we believe this good news? Because it changes everything. So I'm going to invite our, our band back up, and we're going to continue to worship. And like I do every Sunday, I'm going to invite you to respond to what the Lord's doing in your life right now and we're gonna have a time of prayer and then we're gonna have a time of singing but this whole time 
I encourage you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And I don't know what that looks like. Maybe for the first time you see that, you know, I've been trying to work my way into a right standing with the Lord my whole life. And somehow I've missed the relationship. Again, we were in Puerto Rico with a whole bunch of people that were thought that they had a right standing, but completely were missing Jesus. They knew all about Jesus. They can tell you, yeah, I know Jesus. But do they know him? And many do not. They've heard about him all their life. And some of us like that. We've grown up in church. We can quote memory. We went to vacation Bible schools and, you know, we've been on mission trips. But somehow throughout the journey, we've actually missed Christ. Or maybe you've just been rejecting. Maybe you think that you've outsinned God's grace. Hear me, you can never outsend God's grace. God's grace is sufficient for anything you've done or been through. Maybe you've believed the lie that you're worthless. It's not true. God says you're priceless. And has died so that you could receive his good gifts of his presence to make you new, to rescue you from yourself. So in Christ Jesus, we have forgiveness. We have been redeemed, bought back as God's people. And so through Jesus, you are declared a child of God. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I invite you to respond. And we're going to pray, and you respond how the Lord leads. And the crazy thing is, maybe you've seen sin in your own life. Maybe God's pointing out some areas that you have not been following, and actually you've been rejecting and disobeying. That's God's kindness asking you to come back. God's grace in your life. Whatever God's doing in your life, I invite you to respond. We're going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And as we sing, maybe your response is standing and singing praises to God because he's worthy and worth it. Or maybe you sit there and worship through prayer because he's worthy and worth it. Or maybe you gather with a group of people and pray together as the Lord leads. We'll have a prayer team to the side. But you respond to what God's doing in your life right now in this place because he's present and he's working. And you respond to his leading. So let me pray for us. Father, right now, we just come to you just thankful for your goodness and your grace and your amazing love. Lord, remind us of the privilege it is to know you and to be known by you. Lord, set us free from whatever bondage that we are putting on ourselves, whether it's past failures, past sin, maybe sin that we're in. Lord, help us to see the goodness of your grace that you have come to set us free from that slavery that we put on ourselves in sin, and that we have freedom in Christ Jesus by forgiveness of his blood. Lord, stir in us a reminder of the goodness of your grace, the gospel that saves, that satisfies. Lord, you create a desire for more of you in our life and less of us. Create a desire for us to pray more to you, to spend time with you, to read your word, to know that you've given us these things to know you better and that you are a very present, relational God who desires for his kids to come to him with all their needs, all their desires, and just to spend time at your feet to worship you and to enjoy your presence, Lord. Lord, lead us in this response to what you're doing. Move your spirit in this place, Lord. 
Remove any barriers or stumbling blocks right now that prevents us to see you more clearly, to experience you more personally. Lord, move right now, we ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Change lives, build faith, starting right now. Lord, help us to respond in these next moments, in the rest of this day, in a heart posture of worship because you are worth it. Father, we thank you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer, or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.